I've been on the journey with Penelope with this book. I can't wait to meet Primrose Cartwright, the vet, and also the Scotsman, Blake. I'm really looking forward to getting into Blake. Sorry, that doesn't sound right, does it? Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's looking forward to getting into you too. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor, and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Everyone, Pam here popping in with a pre-introduction in which I wanted to wish all the listeners of Rights for Women a very Merry Christmas. In this episode, I have all the guest hosts or some of the guest hosts from 2024 joining me to talk about our writing highlights, the challenges that we've had this year, some of them at least, and also to give plenty of holiday and Christmas reading recommendations. So this is a great chat with some of the guest hosts from Rights for Women. I hope that you've enjoyed all the episodes that we've had. The podcast will be taking a break until early February, the very beginning of February, and there's some great guests starting the year off for us, which we're going to be kicking off with Hannah Ritchell talking about her move into the crime genre with The Search Party. I'm going to be talking to one of our guest hosts, Rachel Johns, about her fabulous new women's fiction slash rom-com book, The Other Bridget. And I'm going to be talking to Kylie Orr about her second novel, The Eleventh Floor. So there's plenty of other great episodes coming up, but in the meantime, there are 40-ish episodes. I've lost count for this year, but I think we've got about 40 episodes of Rights for Women for 2024 racked up now. And there's been lots and lots of downloads this year. It's been going really well. So a huge thank you to all of the people who have been listening, who have been sharing, who have been reviewing the podcast and recommending it to their reading and writing friends. Do enjoy the backlist if you still have episodes to catch up on. And don't forget the backlist from previous years is also there to catch. You can also find episodes on the Rights for Women YouTube channel. And a lot of those videos are also on the website alongside the audio recording if you don't listen to podcasts. Uh, And you can also find, as of the last couple of months, the transcripts for those episodes starting from a couple of months back now on the website as well if you want to go back and read through. So thank you so much for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas with your friends and family. Uh, Stay safe, have a great holiday, and catch you again on the flip side in 2024. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very last episode of Rights for Women for 2023. Feels like not very long ago that I was recording the very first episode, but anyway, that's just the way things go these days, isn't it? So I'm really excited to be here tonight with some of my guest hosts for Rights for Women, unfortunately, a few people couldn't join us. Ray Cairns, Meredith Jaffe, Laura Boone and Cassie Hamer all send their hellos and have a great Christmases via us tonight. But I am really excited to have the other guest hosts here who are May Linnell, Penelope Janu, Joe Nell, Rachel Johns, Mary Lou Stevens and Joe Riccioni who will be joining us. So it's been such a weight off my shoulders to be able to have some fabulous guest hosts on the podcast and to 
just provide a lot more variety, I think, for listeners as well to be able to listen to different people posing different questions to guests and to inviting guests on that they really want to talk to. And it's always great for me to edit those episodes too because they're episodes that I haven't heard, haven't been in on the planning, and it's always really lovely to edit them and to hear the interviews for the first time as I'm editing them and then to release them out into the world. So I think it's been a great year for rights for women. I went on to the analytics the other day because I'm really hopeless at looking at all that sort of stuff. And it's we've had over 25,000 downloads this year of the podcast. I'm really happy about that. I'd love to increase that even more. And I'm sure that as next year rolls on, that we'll gather even more listeners and the word about the podcast will get out there. So tonight we're going to be speaking about our writing highlights, our writing challenges for the year as well, and also what we're recommending and what we're reading as we roll into Christmas and holidays. So there's no need to really go on with a longer introduction to these lovely writers because everybody has heard them on the podcast. So let's start with the first question, which is what has been the writing highlight for you for 2023? Maya, can we start with you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Pam. And 25,000 downloads, that is amazing. Congratulations. There's lots of people with some really good taste in podcasts out there. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, a real writing highlight for 2023 was setting a book in South Australia, which is my home state, and getting to go across the border and do a bunch of events over with the South Australian audience. So I got to see lots of local readers that knew the places that I was referring to, lots of new readers that had never actually picked up any of my books, but a friend had encouraged them to come along or a librarian and said, oh, my girl's going to be speaking, you should come along. But having that book that's set in South Australia, Cookabarra Cottage, and it's got this real winery theme to it as well. It talks about a boutique winery called Lacewing Estate. So I got to do a whole slew of beautiful winery-related promos, which I haven't done before. So a wonderful day tasting wines at Coonawarra, which is set in the Limestone Coast. It's a wonderful, award-winning, internationally acclaimed wineries. And they opened their cellar doors and said, Maya, come on in, film some content. Would you like to taste the sparkling? How about we try and try you on the Shiraz? And it was wonderful. So I, I think... Setting a book in a winery is a really strategic thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, great idea. (laughs) I can understand why that's been a highlight for you, Maya. Brilliant. Yeah, it is really nice because there's always been that Victorian-South Australian divide. And as a youngster growing up, it was really hard to hand over my driver's license as a South Australian to get that Victorian driver's license. So it felt really lovely to go home and present this book that was like an ode to my region of the Limestone Coast. Fantastic. And of course, that's the first of your new series, isn't it? It is. So there's two more books at least set in that series. So I get to spend a fair bit more time in the beautiful areas, the coastal towns and those beautiful wine growing regions. Oh, fantastic. How about you, Penn? What was your writing highlight? I know you've had a few books out this year, so it might be hard for you to choose. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that the highlight is a bit of a wave like that. I sat down and I had my most recent book, Sunshine Through the Rain was like, okay, that's lovely. That's the book that's only just come out. And then, but of course I had, I mean, I don't normally have so many books and of course it takes time to write them all, but it just happened that I had a January release and then what would have been the other, the next January release came out in December. So in in January I had Shelter from the Storm and I had to put them here so I remembered what they all were. So I had Shelter from the Storm in January (laughs) and then I had Sunshine Through the Rain, which just came out last week. And then in the midst of all that, then I had Into the Deep End, which was a re-release in June. 
And this is a little book that could, because this is my first book. It was released in 2017, and they put a new sort of rom-com cover, and it's actually being released in the UK at the beginning of next year. So that was really exciting. And then Country Vet Christmas, which was Pamela and I were obviously both wrote a Christmas story for this anthology, A Country Vet Christmas. And what Pam, and it could be just because I've lost a bit of memory lately, but my most recent really happy time too has been on the road trip with you where we actually toured regional New South Wales, which were both really, yeah, we just love that area anyway. And we just went to one bit of it and then we're already saying, oh, but we've got to go there and we've got to go here and we've got to go there. The one one road trip of many, hopefully, because that was just such a wonderful opportunity to connect with readers in regional areas. One of those highlights, of course, was that we... I was going to say, so it was being with me in Tamworth. Oh, absolutely, because that was another road trip <laughs> for this hurry. book. You've but, been all over the place, Pen. That was also good. And next time, Rachel, we go, I insist that we have a caravan. Yep. And okay. we share the bed because we that would be a lot of fun too. So, yeah, so I've just had, yeah, a really good, had a really lovely year. But what makes the year is obviously in, in the writing terms yeah, is the readers and other writers. I've been so blessed to have had some fantastic times with all of you guys actually through the year, which couldn't be better. Yeah, I know you've had a really busy year, Pen, and thank you for reminding me about the road trip. I've actually forgotten about that as a well, highlight. my biggest memory, Pamela. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. I'll talk about more than that when we get to me. But, Rach, why don't we go on with you? What's been the highlight of your writing year? Oh, hard as well because, yeah, so many, it, it is about meeting, it's seeing people, I think, and I've had a few times where I've been able to connect with people over the years at um, the couple of Love Comes to Town events that I've done. And obviously the Romance Writers of Australia Conference, which is always a highlight. Writing-wise, I would say I've had one book out this year, Talks the Heart, which was my non-romance. That was a bit of crazy. That was fun. But I think the biggest highlight was probably writing my first, I guess, romantic comedy, like contemporary romance book, which is The Other Bridget. And I wrote in first person, present tense, the stuff that I used to hate. So I've I've grown in terms of what I dislike and how but, did you find that, Rachel? Because I've just started a novella in first person present tense, which is new for me too. I, I eased into it, I guess, because most of my books are in third person and I did first person with Just on Wish a few years ago and first person with Fly in the Nest. But both of those books were past tense still. My hates in reading always were first person and present tense. Like it just really <laughs> cracked it on me. But with Just One Wish, it just... I had to write in first person. It, it sounds woo and weird, but the characters just, that's just the way it was like about three women, but I knew that it was one person was saying to me, no, it's my point of view. I'm telling the story and it's in first person. So I just did it that way and I really enjoyed it. And the same kind of happened, I guess, with the other Bridget. It just fell into first person present tense. And I thought, what am I doing? I got used to it. And then I think it's hard. I find it now hard pitching back because then I write in third person up in my rurals. And so I do find it a bit jarring switching back. But I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think actually what helps me switching point of views for different books or using a different tense is in my rurals, it's always third person, dual point of view and past tense. So that kind of just helps me set the mood and the tone for those mm. books. And in my women's fiction, it's all different. But in the rom-com, like when it was a lighter sort of, fun type of book I think having it first person really helped me with that and the presence too so I think it just it helps me set the theme and the tone if that makes sense yeah fantastic and we're going to be talking about the other Bridget early Jan so it's going to be one of the very first episodes in 2024 for the podcast but 
correct me if I'm wrong, but were you your readers retreat this year? Yes, that was my other big highlight. Yeah, I've got that written. I had to really second guess myself then and think, was that last year or this year? No, I could be hog and say too many things, but definitely the first Rachel John's online book club reader retreat, which happened in Handor, beautiful wine country. Good. And Penelope Fair and Cam and many other authors. And it was, honestly, we had 100 readers. I had no idea how it was going to go. Organize it with my co-host, Anthea Hodgson. It's a Facebook group, if anyone wants to join. And honestly, it exceeded my expectations. It was just so lovely. Everyone was so friendly and enthusiastic. And apart from a few food issues, dietary requirement issues, there were no issues and it was just an amazing weekend. And so we're doing it all again next year on the Gold Coast with different authors like Maya, Joanna, and Mary Lou. I've got you. I'm, I'm eyeing you. <laughs> no, it was, was such a fantastic experience. And as a writer, and I'd Pam, you'll say the same. I've never had people you know, would come because they knew that the authors that were going and they would have all like seven of my books that they'd mm. had. And but even better, they were dog-eared and they've been read and some had been read multiple times. It was just like, oh my, it's like the author's dream moments, really. It was lovely. I think the chance to get in front of 100 and slightly more next year readers who are the diehard readers. They're, yeah, the, they're passionate. They're yeah. going to buy every book you've written. They're going to not only buy it, but they're going to tell everyone that they know about it. They're going to follow you. They're going to become a groupie. And so they're the really great readers to have. And I know there was a couple of authors who weren't say as well known there as maybe you two and they we did a survey afterwards and there was a lot of it was really bad beneficial for people who either had had books over published overseas or a debut or so yeah I think it really was it was amazing it's a lot of work it brings a lot of joy yeah no you and Auntie did such a brilliant job of organizing that Rachel and I think yeah I'm really interested to see how it grows over the years to come it was fantastic yeah. Mary Lou, let's go to you. So tell us where you're coming to us from and then talk about your writing highlight for the year. My writing highlight is that I pressed send today <laughs> uh, for my 2025 novel. I'm just Yay. over the moon, so relieved, and I can finally take a break and take a look around me because I'm in Vietnam at the moment. I'm here for three months. The book that I had just sent was written and edited. I did five drafts before I sent it off to my publisher in six different countries across <laughs> Southeast Asia. And before we'd set off slow traveling, so what we do is called slow traveling. So you go to a country, as long as the tourist visa will allow you to stay, that's how long you stay. And by doing that, you cut down your accommodation costs dramatically and you're not jumping in planes left, right and center. So those costs and those carbon miles all will disappear. And it allows you to really kind of, if you're not writing a book, immerse yourself in the culture. So for the next little while in Vietnam, I'm really looking forward to doing that because I'm going to have a bit of a break now over summer. But it's been an extraordinary experience writing this book in all these different locations, in all these places over the, around the world. And we were in Borneo for three months in Kutsing the independent state of Malaysia, it's called Sarawak. And I even had a writer's group there because I was there for three months. Wow. Writers from all over the world. Yeah, there's only even five or six of us, but it was English-speaking group. That's been one of the things, you know, it's finding people to speak English with. 
And that was just so lovely. And that's what I was really looking forward to today. Today is actually one of the highlights of my year because connecting with other writers, I really miss my writing groups in Australia. Mm. They're just so crucial, I think, to this writing life is to have that connection with people who know what you're going through, who support you, who cheer for you, who cry with you, all that stuff. And in this past year that we've been slow traveling, that's something that I have really missed. So it's great to see everyone today and talk about writing. Now, I haven't done wine bars, but because my book that's coming out end of January next year is called The Chocolate Factory, what I have done wherever we've gone, and this has been a real highlight of my year, is go to Chocolate Factory. Yeah. And it's astounding. It's astounding how many there are throughout Asia because this is perfect cacao growing weather climate. So there are little bean-to-bar factories everywhere and I think I visited just about all of them. We're in Kuala Lumpur just for a little while and I visited two or three there in Saigon. I went to three. We're going up to Dalat in the mountains. There's another one there. In Thailand, there's quite a few. In Cambodia, there's a great one. In the Philippines, it's just everywhere. So I've been visiting lots of chocolate factories and Rachel, you were saying before, about writers of wine going together. I think writers of chocolate can't go together. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, and I just want to say that we in the Rachel Jones Online Book Club are doing um, the Chocolate Factory for our May book. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're I excited. love this book. <laughs> and just the other thing I wanted to pop in, Rachel, while you're here with me sharing this space, is that the book that I had just sent is in first person, but it's in past tense. Oh. And apart from my memoir, which came out 10 years ago with Pam McMillan, I've never written in first person before. But it's the same thing. It's what the book demanded. I searched and hoped for other protagonists to pop up. Yeah, yeah. And none of them did. None of them did. It was just this one voice. And I wrote to my publisher and went, I'm freaking out a bit because I think this book's in first person. What do you think? And she said, if that's what's calling to your heart, exactly what you're right. But it followed the So there's this massive 120,000 word book, which was 150, <laughs> and it's all just one protagonist. And I love it. Yeah. I really love it. Yeah. I do mm. that annually, very <laughs> And then that was the people don't really write rule in first person either, but I think you just, yeah, you do it. That's the way you do it. But it's yeah. good to be different mm. and as well, isn't yeah. it? Like, it's part you of your voice. It's who you yeah. are. Yeah. There's not much rule, but, and you're right. It's not true. But it's really good to be that. That can be a, a point of difference that gives you that little extra something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good. That sort of goes to voice generally, isn't it? So writers out there listening yeah some of the voice it's that's been a lovely discussion tonight that uh, yeah which what voice does the uh, yeah does the book demand you think and that's something in edits and things obviously somebody could say no I think this would work better in third person and then you'd consider it but to actually write the story and get the story out sometimes you just have to do it in that voice that feels right for you yeah definitely I think that's great for writers out there to hear too Pen. thank you Nell, what's been the highlight of your writing year I've got my chocolate there, so I'm on that. Um, I haven't been anywhere as glamorous as Mary Lou. I have travelled virtually to Greece, and the highlight of my year is seeing this book finished and out in the world. So I think I've talked to Pam on the 
interview on the podcast about some of the issues that and challenges with writing this book and the various iterations. And I jokingly was calling it, telling somebody it was Shirley Valentine meets Homer's Odyssey. And I certainly feel like I've been on an odyssey with this. I feel like I've been lured by the sirens in the wrong direction and then come up against many-headed monsters and all sorts of things. But it's here and I'm very proud of it. And it's been out since the 1st of November. And it's been lovely because the last two books I released during lockdown, so I didn't have any kind of launch with those or not an in-person launch. And I didn't have a book out at all last year. So I was seeing everybody else putting their books out and that was all wonderful. But having a little bit of FOMO with it. So it's really nice to have a book out this year and to be doing those events that we're all talking about is meeting the people again. And I don't have wine bars. I have a lot of readers in retirement villages. So it's a yeah, there's the sherry and the cups of tea and scones, but I've been doing those and libraries and bookshops. So some lovely events and it's all winding up now. So yeah, that's been the highlight of my year. It's been so good to see you have another book out, Joe. And of course, this one is just, I think you're just getting better and better with each book and it's, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Well, thank you. No, it's lovely that this seems to have resonated with people. It's amazing how many people seem to think that they're married to an Alan, who's the (laughs) actor's husband in here. So it seems to have resonated with a certain demographic anyway. And Joe, I I just wanted to say that I'm listening to The Last Voyage of Henry Parker on audio at the moment, and I'm just loving it. Yeah, it's great. I think perhaps part of my hope sickness is what I just read and listen to Australian authors. Oh. <laughs> Joe Riccioni, of course, you've got your beautiful covers for The Rising behind you very recently out. Yeah. So I, I think I know right. what might be the highlight of your writing year, but do tell us. It is the highlight of my writing career so far, but second, having that duology complete was a big deal for me. The other highlights had to be, there's several highlights actually, going to Supernova, which was twice I went to Supernova Brisbane this year and Supernova Adelaide. And um, that was phenomenal. I had a great time. Seeing someone else in my writer's group publish their first novel this year was an absolute highlight. That's Lucy Lieber's book. So that was a real trip. And what else was a highlight? There's big news that's going to drop this year that I'm not allowed to actually talk about, which is to do with big things for the series. Just Pam popping in here with a little interlude. Joe did tell us what the exciting news is. I'm actually going to edit that little bit out until next week when all will be revealed and I'll pop that onto a reel in the Rights for Women Instagram feed. So stay tuned for that announcement from Joe Riccioni. Now back to the podcast. Well, you've got lots to celebrate. Fantastic. <laughs> Who's left me? What's been the highlight of my writing year? As Penn reminded me, definitely going on the road trip out west was so much fun because meeting readers, new readers, and also travelling with fantastic writing buddy Penelope Janu and also the Rachel Johns Readers Retreat. That actually, Rachel, I came home from that pretty blown away too because I haven't had a book out in the trad sense for a few years now. I've had indie publications out. But I was blown away with, A, how many people actually had my books there and knew who I was. And and B, how many people came up and said, oh, wow, I can't wait to read your books. I haven't come across them before. And then like you say, okay, that's 100 people, but those 100 people are going to talk to other people 
they're going to share on social media. And I think things like that are just so good for spreading the word about our books. Yeah, I think if because there are 100 people who are prepared to spend money going on a reading retreat, they are your, as we said, diehard readers who yeah. are then, they're not just going to read your book and be quiet about it. They're going to yeah. post about it. They're going to tell their friends. They're going to, so yeah, I feel like, I think it was Tess Wood told me years ago that Tess Wood told me that Stephen King said that you need a thousand rabid fans. Mm. And sometimes those those really passionate readers are the ones that can hopefully spread the word your books. There's nothing like word of mouth. Yeah. Your TikTok came along, which is word of mouth on steroids. It is, depending what genre you're in. Other highlights for me was having my no- the novella out in A Country Vet Christmas. So really good to be published in trad print again this year after not having had that for a few years. And also just finishing a novella and... Um, something that I'd never done before and putting it out there and being reasonably happy with that product and getting nice feedback from readers. And also having my books out on audio has been really great for me this year. I've only had one book previously out on audio, The Crossroads, which was through a smaller, well, through an English company that's been quite inaccessible. But to have sold my backlist, which I did at the end of last year, and have that out, so they're gradually coming out every kind of probably four months or so, my backlist has been coming out. And then in the new year, a new, very brand new book, which is a sequel to or follow-on story from my first book, Black Bottle Late, will be out in the new year at some point. But Close to Home is the next one that's coming out on audio on the 1st of February. So new covers and breathing some new life into my backlist, which has been fantastic and uh, just really good. So lots of highlights, really. It's been fun. So let's move on to challenges. What's been our biggest writing challenge for the year? Penn, can we start with you? Oh, okay. I'm going to start with a downer. That's all right. The challenge. The challenge. Well, I think it is challenging. I think sometimes I was continuing to write when, can I use this word? Yeah, like shit happens, like it does in our families, in our personal lives Mm. and around the world. And most of us write, we write stories where readers escape into those stories. And that is such a joy as a reader, as all, as readers, we know that is just so important to us that we can actually pick up a book and we can escape to another world and another life. And that's what we try to write when we write books as well. But sometimes it can be a little bit difficult as a writer. There can be certain challenges and some things just suddenly get to you where you think oh, that it makes you sad. And yeah. So I suppose that's a challenge. It's always a bit of a challenge. I think it's a challenge for all of us writers. And most people, other writers obviously understand it. It's almost if you get a really narky review or something and you think, don't be mean. It makes me sad as a mother of like adult and obviously men as well. But then some people just seem to be really mean. I think, don't be mean to writers. If you don't like a book, that's absolutely fine. Don't read it. Don't be mean about it or don't be personal about it. And don't tag us. Yes, and don't tag us, especially on yeah. Christmas Day. I think. I've forgotten which writer it was that said that, but. Don't tag me with a three-star review on Christmas Day. Oh Fair enough. Anyway, but yeah, that's just yeah. a little bit, a little bit of a challenge, I suppose. And I think that's for all of us. I'm going to jump in with mine right now, Pen, because I agree that for me, just the challenge is always sitting down every day, and I don't do it every day. Pen is much better at this, and all of you are much better at this, I think, than I am. Actually putting my bum on that seat and getting the words out is a constant challenge. And it's ridiculous because when I do, 
I get into it and I love it and I'm really happy that I've done it after I've done it. But the actual thought of sitting down and writing new words is a continual challenge for me. So that hasn't changed probably from for a long time. Not to say that I'm not going to keep doing it and I keep I do keep going back to it and doing it. But like you say, Penn, when there's things going on in the world and things in your life that kind of take up a lot of headspace and drag you away from it, it can be just that continual challenge to sit down and do it. But yeah, we keep coming back for more. So let's hope we just keep doing that next year and the year after and the year after that. Joe, we flick to you, Joe Nell. Oh, what's okay. been your biggest challenge for the year? You alluded to it before, but there might be something something yeah, else you wanted to yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I echo exactly what you're saying. And I'm wondering whether when there is other things going on in the world and when the, we're looking at that news cycle of bad news, whether it's a constant low level of anxiety that sort of zaps your creative energy a bit. I don't know whether that's uh, across the board, but certainly there's, there've been times this year latter end of the year when it has for me. Yeah, there was the challenges of the getting Mrs. Winterbottom takes a gap year right, which I think I did in the end. But the greatest challenge uh, looking back was doing the copy edit in hospital. (laughs) So I just had my long-awaited knee replacement, which on a happier note is absolutely fantastic. I'm so happy when I'm hiking and going to the gym and doing all these things that I couldn't do before. So it's absolutely wonderful. I don't regret it. But of course, it's a process and it hurts. And life doesn't stop because you're you're in hospital, you're on painkillers. So the copy edit arrived at the hospital, arrived on the ward by courier and brought to me at my bedside. And I pulled that little tray table over and spread out my copy edit in hard copy and was doing that while I was on a really excellent, very strong pain-killing drug. Oh, everybody, Lexia, P-A-L-E-X-I-A. If you're wondering, I think it imbibed the whole thing with a lot more energy and spark, quite honestly. But if there are any typos or anything, I can blame the drugs. So that was a challenge. And then I think having had a book that's been well received and well reviewed and has had very good sales, then starting a new project with the ex- weight of expectation of that and everyone saying, we want your no- next novel to be even bigger. It, it's That's crushing. It sends the muse off hiding, whimpering into a corner sometimes. So I think my other challenge has been getting my head around the new project and really getting getting right, putting all the rest of it aside, all the publicity and everything else, and just getting my head into a new set of characters and a new book, which I think come the new year will be very exciting, but just all those other distractions at the moment. Yeah. And maybe once you've had that little bit of a break from, because you've still been doing a lot of publicity for Mrs. Winterbottom too. So maybe over Christmas, having that break from that and then being able to get back into the next one afresh might help with that. I know a lot of authors are, they're writing one, editing another and publicizing another, but I think I've lost that ability to multitask and my brain is just craving to focus on one project at a time. Brilliant. Be on to that in the new year, Joe. What about you, Maya? For me, the first one that springs to mind, Pam, is a sync issue. So I'm usually pretty good at backing up my work and saving my work emailing myself a copy of a manuscript at regular intervals. I've taught myself ever since I was a journalist and automatically press command S as I'm typing. I'll be typing a sentence and just command S is just automatic for me. But all of that falls to the wayside when you save to the cloud. And then I usually have a pretty good sense of 
things on USB when I'm switching between my laptop, my MacBook Pro, and my desktop, my iMac. But on a week and a bit ago, I was on deadline. I really worked my guts out on getting this structural editing and I only had 48 hours to get it done. And I was heading off on holidays the day after it was due, so I needed it done. And it was this glorious day outside. We live in South Coast Victoria, so it's regularly quite wet and windy. But it was this magnificent day. She's on the trampoline with the sprinklers. I'm holed up in the office doing structural edits and that final real push. And you really, you guys would all know, you push yourself to the absolute limit when you're in that throw-in And I just didn't do that extra step of emailing it to myself because I thought, no, I'm so close to being finished now. I will just, I've saved it. I know it's there. The next morning I did a little bit of work before the kids went to school, drove one to school, came back. I thought I'd rather work in my office today rather than on the laptop. Shut down the laptop, made sure everything was saved. Went upstairs, opened the desktop, opened the iCloud, opened the document, and all of a sudden it just wrote over all the work I'd done the whole previous day when it was sunny and beautiful outside. So it's just a lesson. I've had it before. I've been burnt. And it was only a day's work in the end. So it's not like I lost 20,000 words. Yeah. But when you've been pushing yourself so hard on a deadline, barely looking at socials, barely looking at my family, it's, here's some here's the code you can feed yourselves. And when you've got so many hours in seat, it feels so brutal to accidentally overwrite a file. And I couldn't find anything except for mid, midway through the previous day. And I thought, I'd seen up till 9.30 that night, slogged my guts out, and I could have been just outside enjoying the sunshine with the family. But, you know, <laughs> that should teach me a lesson, and I should certainly remember always save important things to a USB stick I'm going from my laptop to my desktop. Yeah, that's a good lesson for all of us, I think, and I have to say I'm really bad at that too, with the whole saving extra things and sending emails to myself. So thank you for that reminder. <laughs> Uh, Mary Lou, let's go to you. What's been the biggest challenge for you this year? Well, this is one that a lot of you here are very familiar with, but I was not. So my two books that have been published previously, they were complete before I submitted them and got deals. So the Chocolate Factory, which comes out next year, the book for 2025 that I've just spread send on, they were written on commission. And I had never experienced that. And it was extraordinary for me. And I think that other emerging authors probably go through the same thing where suddenly, and I got a two book deal on three chapters and a synopsis. And then I had, and I said, oh, we'll give you plenty of time to write it, which was fine because I'd already done all the research. I write historical fiction. There's a lot of research. I'd already done the research for it. And so that was okay. So I wrote that while I'm still back in Australia. But this year, while slow traveling around Southeast Asia, editing one book and writing the next one and doing all the research of it for it while being away from home and writing for all kinds of different places. But just that constant pressure of having edits for one, writing another one, and also like the book I've just written that. The only thing in my contract is a title, a working title. So actually writing a book on contract from nothing has been an extraordinary experience, but also a massive challenge. It's a very different beast to write a book contract that you have not written 
as opposed to how I've always written in the past, which is plenty of time, getting that manuscript assessment, working with a mentor, lots of time to edit, to refine. When I worked with Monica McInerney on the last The Apple Blossom, she wouldn't even look at it until I'd done six drafts. She wouldn't let me submit it until I'd done 10. All that time. And when the last The Apple Blossom was successful and HQ approached me and said, what have you got for us? And I went, I've got this book. It's going to take me about five years to write. And they went, no, you don't have that long. I went, I've got this other idea, and I have done all the research for it as well because I was vacillating between the two because I thought I had all the time in the world. And they went, that's what we want. And I had lots of friends who are on book a year contracts and usually they go on along okay for a while and then there'll be a bit of burnout and I can see why because it's constant. Mm. It's absolutely constant. And when my husband and I decided to go slow traveling, I said to him, you know, that I, it's going to be, I'm going to be like, I'm at home. I'm going to sit in a room on my own a lot of the time. Are you okay going out and seeing the world while I can sit at home? And sometimes we just have had a hotel room and I'm just sitting in the bed and he's had to go sit outside or something because I'm not one of these people who can write in cafes. I need silence and I need space. So there's been a lot of challenges this year and it's been fascinating and I have such a new heartfelt in my bones respect for authors who write a book a year. Okay, put your hand up if you write a book a year. (laughs) I'm not going to put my hand up. (laughs) Pam jumping in here for those listening on audio to say everybody pretty much in that Zoom room other than me put their hand up. So lots of authors out there writing a book a year. I have written a book a year, but it happened and I don't think I can do it again. I'm not sure and I make my publishers off, but. This is something that I wanted to talk about for my challenges. Is that all right, Pam? Because it kind yeah, of go. Let's roll straight on, Joe. Yeah, uh, that managing. I totally agree, Penny, and loads of uh, the other people, Mary Lou, who said managing that work-life balance. It has been virtually impossible for me putting a book out a year. And listening to Amy Andrews' speech at the RWA Romance Writers of Australia. Now, really brought that home to me Rachel's laughing but yeah it's fantastic it was so good it was so good and it just for a for still young not young age wise but a young a newbie writer this is my third novel but I still feel like I'm emerging compared to a lot of the romance writers who've been putting out books a year and to hear her talk about that and put the warning out there that this is not okay to have you to do that to yourself and that you need to manage it. You need to manage it really well. And if you're not managing it, you need to do something about it. It's really valuable feedback from an established author like Amy. And also the second thing I want to mention, and I'm, again, it's probably a little bit political, but I am really interested in talking to writers about this free gig mentality that we've all got. And I think it's something that really needs to be aired amongst writers and in the industry because we're creatives and other creatives don't do this for free, this stuff for free. And that's been a really challenging thing. And I've always put myself out there for free to do stuff. And I'm going to really try hard just from an, just from a kind of 
political and supporting the industry because it's not healthy for us to keep selling our services for free in terms of appearances, in terms of promotional stuff for, for publishers asking us to do promotional stuff for other people's books. I really think we need to consolidate as industry professionals and say, this is not okay. I know the ASA advocate for this a lot. I think we do a lot, which we should not be doing. That's a challenge for me as well. I think that's great, Joe. And I reckon we need to have a whole episode on that. <laughs> I, say, I feel like, yeah, we're, I never do anything like events not paid anymore, but I did in the early days. Like now I'm like, no, I'm only doing it unless it's a, um, we've approached them for book tour and I will. But even going so far as that, I think we are in worst enemies in that we don't want to say no to anything a lot of the times because we are in that, well, we need to sell as many books. We need to keep our name out there and all this sort of stuff. And in the end, yeah, sometimes we can overwhelm ourselves and that burnout comes from saying yes, not so much from doing too much writing, even though we've got to be careful of that, but saying yes to all the things. So next year is my year of no. I'm saying no to every cover quote, Nick, just for one year and to everything that is outside of my book releases because I feel that pressure and it's really, yeah, it's hard. So I think we do need to learn to, to put ourselves first sometimes, which is hard, especially as we're It is hard. It is hard yeah. when you're a people pleaser and you want to help other people. Yeah. But I also think it's us as writers understanding that when another writer says no, they're doing it for a really valid reason. It's not because yeah. they hate you and they don't want you to succeed. Yeah. It's just because sometimes we need to protect our own time. Yeah, definitely. Rach, what would you say has been the biggest challenge for you? Is that it or is, has there been another or more? The challenge for me is remembering that you have plans and life laughs at those plans sometimes. I was hoping to finish my second book for the year, which is insane because I did go through a burnout definitely a few years ago and then I felt really revived and stuff and so I thought, yes, I can do these two books of the year that were acquired of me, but I'm not, I'm almost managed this year, but I won't. I don't know if I'll be able to do it next year. But the biggest challenge for me was um, two things, I'd say COVID derailing me, so illness, actually being unable to work for a week when I was hoping to be finishing my book, and that derailed my plans for having time off over the summer and stuff and shift that back, which it's so funny because when publishers say, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it, it that's all very well for you, but I actually rely on this income. So I need my submission acceptance payment and stuff. Or So if one book's pushed back, it pushes back others. So I think, yeah, that's really derailed me as a sort of thing you just have no control over. But the biggest thing for me always is just self-doubt and getting like outside my own head and just getting words on the page without questioning myself. And that's what I'm constantly doing. So, yeah, that's my biggest challenge is overcoming the self-doubt and just getting a bit draft down. Really interesting, I think, too, for people listening, Rach, to hear you, who I think out of all of us, you've definitely published more books than any of us and to still be experiencing that self-doubt, which is completely normal. And But it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how many books you put out there. Really, it is a constant companion. I think it plays into what Joanna said as well in terms of when you've had some sort of success, I don't know how people like Leanne Moriarty and Jane Harper, or maybe they're okay because they like spent millions of dollars. <laughs> but um, I always think I like you put more pressure on yourself each time. So I really relate to Joanne saying that this book's done really well, but then 
that means in some ways you're putting more expectations on yourself the next time and really hard on ourselves. And so I think the hard thing for me is to focus on me and remember that I'm not in a race against everyone else and that I know I've talked to publishers about people on the TikTok books that are doing amazingly, which is great. And I've got no, I think it's great that people are reading books, but to be clear, but I think it's great that young people are reading and loud and proud about what they're reading. But a lot, of, I think you've got to look back at, like you're only in a race against yourself. So you have to look back and go, oh, how, hang on, this is how far I've come. I've stayed in this career for 12 years and managed to put these books out there. Like just, it's really hard to ignore what's going around and focus on why you're in it. So that's my biggest challenge to remember that all I wanted to do was write a book and maybe make <laughs> a living out of it. And so to not let that joy disappear. So yeah. I'm not making any sense, getting all work. No, you're making lots of sense. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Again, a topic we could talk about for hours, but let's move on and talk about what we're reading or recommending for holiday reading and giving for Christmas gifts. Maya's internet breaks up a little bit in her answer here. So just to fill in, the book that she's actually talking about is by Fiona Lowe and it's The Money Club. So Fiona came out this year as The Money Club. Fiona wrote big, juicy books. They're quite thick, so they'll keep you going for a fair bit of the summer holidays. This one's about the really interesting topic of Ponzi schemes and how people can just get really accidentally, in a way, sucked in. And uh, Fiona Wright from experience because uh, in the area that she lives, it's been struck by a couple of notorious Ponzi schemes. And she tells a story at her book events. I was lucky enough to host one of her events earlier this year about having someone who was one of the biggest Ponzi schemes fraudsters at her Christmas puppy once. So very interesting. It's always a gripping read. She does a great job of relationships and really relevant conflicts and scenarios and great characters that you can just imagine living next door to or or having at your Christmas party drinking your champagne and offering you to join the special exclusive club. I also have started reading the very fabulous Country Vet Christmas by some beloved authors. There's some great (laughs) ones in there that you can Penelope Tanu, hello there. So wonderful country Christmas stories. Also, Rachel's newest one kept me company on holidays as well. So lots of fantastic stories out there. I've got a few already wrapped into the Christmas tree for family, for my daughters, for my dad and my son. Lots of good ones, but they're in earshot, so I better not say exactly what they are. (laughs) I think we're very lucky there's great authors to choose from and a book that will suit everyone's taste these holidays. Yeah, there's plenty out there. But Maya, when can we expect your next book? Yeah, so my current one, Look at Our Cottage, is already out in the shelf. People can find that. I've been signing some sneaky copies here, there, and everywhere we go. But Wallaby Lane will come out next winter. And like my other five books, we're talking rural romance. We're talking close-knit communities, lots of country charm. There's always some baking and some guarding my stories. So, yeah, go out and find them. Oh, great. Thank you, Maya. Penny, what about you? What's on your reading list for Christmas? And uh, I've got Mrs. Winterbottom. I'm actually dressed better to match Joe's book than you my are. own book. But um, <laughs> yes, look, I just love this. I and I'm not just saying because I love Joe, but I just love this book. And and I've actually given it to a number of people as well. One of them, my sister-in-law, who's a doctor, who's married to a doctor, and so there's been a lot of discussion over the Alan and Heather issues. But fantastic book for everybody. Dreaming in French, Vanessa. Oh, hang on, Rach wants to interject there. 
Can I ask you a question, Pen? Is that a hardcover? Is that the UK edition or something? It is. I'm with hardcovers, and I think we need them more in the US. We do. We need them more here. It's beautiful. Yeah. I hope you're not giving that one away, Penelope. Oh, absolutely. No, this is mine. It's actually, oh, Joe's actually put my name in it to stop me giving it away. (laughs) I'm only giving away the paperbacks. Vanessa McCausland, and I went to the book launch for this. Vanessa's just a beautiful writer, and this is a beautiful book. I actually, because my mother, she's an absolutely avid reader and she's very kind. She does read my books because it would be probably rude not to, but she loves Vanessa's books. So I actually had this one. Vanessa actually wrote um, an endorsement that was, well, wrote it to me and to my mum. But I have actually read it, but I have read it really carefully. Like the spine is still really good because I'm going to give it to my mum for Christmas. (laughs) It's got her name in it as well. That's a beautiful book. Love just in. I'll put a plug in for a debut here. Natalie Murray's gorgeous. I met her through RWA and this is her debut out with Alan Unwin, um, which is a really lovely book and it's really so many rom-coms. You think, oh, rom-com, light and fluffy or beach read, but no, they invariably got more to them. I'm sure we'll be finding that out through, through Rachel's book next year too. But yeah, Love Just In, which is just very nearly out. And quite a few other books. I have some crime stuff. Our friend, Ray Cairns. Oh, that's yeah. a lovely book. Yeah, Dying to Know. Yeah, that's one on my list for my some men who read more crime than not, but Ray writes beautiful crime for men and for women. So, yeah, lots of excitement. And, of course, Pen, you've got Sunshine Through the Rain out now that people can grab for Christmas gifts as well. It is. And actually today was my first day that I actually ventured to the shops since I got hit on the head and and I saw lots of copies of it. It looked really nice. It looked nice stacked. This spine looked really nice too. Pretty. Yeah, so sunshine through the rain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm really happy that's out. That's my kind of third weather book, as it were, with the third Cartwright sister. It's got lots of vets and animal welfare. Rach, what's on your Christmas reading list and suggestions for reading? Well, I have read a few books that I've really loved lately, so I'll quickly go through them. Hello, Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. It's supposedly inspired by Little Women. I didn't think it was that Little Women-ish, but I really enjoyed it. What is interesting, though, is it pretty much all telling and no showing. Oh, okay. And I've read a few books like that this year that, as writers were always told, show, don't tell, show, don't tell, show, don't tell, but have done really well, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I read, I did all this when I was sick with COVID this last week. I read Dolly Alderton. Good material, which was fun. It's a, about a breakup from a male point of view. Really loved Beth O'Leary's The Wake Up Call. So that was just a really lovely, sweet kind of romance book that I was really in the mood to. And on my TBR for the summer or for soon, I have. I've been so obsessed ever since I heard the, the concept for this book. I said to your publisher, Rebecca Saunders, Joanna, I need this book. And so she sent it to me. So I don't know why I haven't read it yet, but I'm very excited about that. That's going to be very soon. And the other one I've just recently been sent, which I'm excited about, is Karina. Oh, yeah. Ever Forever, another romance. I really enjoyed Duffler Orange for Breakfast. It was her first book on second book, but earlier in the year. And if we're going Christmas, I haven't read this one yet, but I do love Karen's one. I've only read a couple, but they're really always very gripping and paste and everything. One, she writes one Christmas for each year. So this one I think is a road trip and meeting like an ex-boyfriend or something. And I'm a suck of a road trip and a suck of a second chance romance. So Christmas by Candlelight. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I just finished listening to Christmas in New York, I think it was, which was Josie oh, Silver. Was that good? Yeah. Did I-, yeah, I did. I really like her, her Christmas books. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Rach, thank you. Okay, Mary Lou, Christmas reading and recommended reading for the holidays. Well, I do not have any books to show you. I even have I have not even seen a copy of my advanced reader copy of my own book. I do travel with some books, but they're all research books. And they're not available online and I had to really search for them in secondhand stores and I don't really think you want to see them. They're very specialized. But books I have enjoyed, the ebooks I've enjoyed, I do love historical fiction. That's my genre, that's what I write. And I love Karen Brooks's work, The Good Wife of Bath, which came out. 2021 is one of my favorite ever books. Her latest one, The Escapades of Tribulation Johnson, is another fabulous book. It's set in the late 1600s. It's about the Renaissance period and the theater of the time and a very famous playwright that no one's ever heard of because she just happened to be a woman, Afra Ben. That is, it's a rock, but there's all kinds of political shenanigans going on. And it's that gorgeous, sumptuous writing that she does so well. Another historical fiction I really liked, it's by Tanya Farrelly, War of Art, which is set in the First World War and features a hot priest. So, yep, that's good. And I've just, oh, I just looked at my list, The Disappearance of Astrid Ricard. Goodness me, Natasha Lester. Hello. I read that book. I just devoured it. I loved it. I think it's the, I look, oh, partly part to say it's the best book she's ever written, but I think it's really on point on a lot of different levels and having that 70s theme time zone. It's, yeah, you've got the zeitgeist there. It just, it works. It really works. And something that I have just finished, if you just want a short read and you like Christmas novellas, this one is a different kind of Christmas novella. It's by Kim Kelly, who's another fabulous Australian historical fiction author. And it won the inaugural 2040 Publishing Prize. And it's based around two young women leading up to Christmas in a very busy and frantic Sydney. People desperately trying to forget World War One, but these two young women can't. It's actually not set during the World War, but it's the aftermath and what happens. And it's a short read, it's a Christmas read, but it deals with grief in the most extraordinary way. Her writing is like crystal and it, and it resonates. It's incredible. So it's a Christmas novella with a difference. It's called The Ladies' Rest and Writing Room, and I highly recommend it. Oh, I've got that. I bought it a copy of it, Mary Lou, and I've got it sitting there waiting, so I'll be... Well into that in the next week or two. I didn't realise it had a bit of a Christmas theme. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you. Joe Nell, have we done you, Joe? No, we no, haven't no. yet. I'm just going to tell you about what I am saving for my holiday, for my Christmas holiday, and they're the latest books to arrive on my shelf. And last week, my book club had a Christmas party and we do this sort of Kris Kringle where we wrap up a book and and they've just managed to give me, or I picked the, the perfect book for me. It's a Berkelo staff pick and it's called Freshwater for Flowers and it's by Valerie Perrin. She's a French author. And this one, I say, I haven't read it yet, but I love the premise of it. Violette is the caretaker at a cemetery in a small town in Burgoyne. Her daily life is lived to the rhythms of the hilarious and touching confidences of random visitors and her colleagues. But her routine is disrupted one day by the arrival of a police chief wishing to deposit his mother's ashes on the graveside of a complete stranger. 
And it's a story of, of the love interest of the police chief's mother and the secrets that are revealed and lost. So I just love the premise of that. It's such a pretty little book. So I'm looking forward to that. Purely by coincidence, I have Penelope Janu's latest, Sunshine Through the Rain. And I love Penelope's writing so much that there's actually an endorsement there on the top for her writing. Encapsulate everything I love about the romance genre and so much more. A go-to author for rural romance for the head as well as the heart. So I stand by that. I've heard a lot about being on the journey with Penelope with this book. I can't wait to meet Primrose Cartwright, the vet, and also the Scotsman. Blake. I'm really looking forward to getting into Blake. Sorry, that doesn't sound right, does it? Um, I'm sure he's looking forward to getting into you too, John. This, <laughs> now, this arrived yesterday and I'm very excited about this. This is Graham Simpson's new one. Now, he's married. I didn't realize he was married to Anne Buist. So his wife, and she's a, an author. She's written under pen names, I think, very, and her own name, various genres. But she's a psychiatrist as well. And this book is about a psychiatry registrar, which I once was, a country girl with a chaotic history. And she seemed, thought she'd seen it all in the emergency room, but nothing compared to what she sees at the psychiatric ward at Menzies Hospital. Now, I have worked in one of those old-fashioned Victorian psychiatric hospitals, and I know that they're just full of stories. And I'm, I just think, I think the cover is beautiful. This comes out in April next year. This is from Heshet. This is my publisher sent me that, but I'm just so excited to, to read that one and a sort of new direction really for Graham. And then. This is a male author. Am I allowed to mention male authors? Yeah, you can mention them. We don't talk to them on here, but you can mention one. No, Christmas would be complete without a David Sedaris for me. Oh, and that's what I've had on my shelf for, for three years now. And I'm going to immerse myself in it. I just think he is one of the naturally funniest writers. Just his observation, his essays, something about them that really appeals. So it just hits my funny bone. And I love his, his, the humanity that's also in- included in his stories and essays. So. It's a David Sedaris as well. Mm, lots of reading there for you, Joe. What about you, Joe Ricciani? What are um, you- yeah, I haven't got the physical copies because I wasn't organized enough, but I'm going to recommend to dip in and out of this short story collection, fantasy collection called Everything Under the Moon, edited by Michael Earp. And there's lots and lots of stories in there. And it's fairy tales in a queerer light, which I haven't started yet, but I'm dipping in and out of it. I'm going to dip in and out of it over summer because sometimes you need a little story and then something else. And uh, there's some contributions there by lots of different writers like Amy Kaufman and lots of other Australian writers. So that's one. I am going to read the third installment of The Power Unbound. I interviewed Freya for the pod I absolutely love her first two books in this series, which are Marvelous Light and Restless Truth. And this is the most amazing series because it's history, murder, queer characters, feminist issues, and magic. Oh, sorry. It sounded amazing when you interviewed her, Joe. I love that interview. It just really, it's not a genre that I would normally read, but it just sounds like such a fantastic blend. Yeah. She's whip smart, Freya. She's is all over what she's very clear about what she wants to do and what she wants to write. And I just en- I really enjoyed that conversation with her because 
She's so inspiring and clear. She's going to talk to you about the industry as well. And her books, oh my goodness, they are so good. So good. The other book I am going to read is, oh, the one I have already read is The Assassin's Thief by another Australian fantasy writer called Madeleine Tifu, who I learned how to pronounce her name when we were at Supernova together. But Maddie's book got shortlisted for the Western Australian Premier's Prize which is an amazing achievement for fantasy to actually get on those lists. I think fantasy is having a moment because I got shortlisted for a prize as well this year for the Small Press Networks Association of Book of the Year. So I, that is testament to the fact that Maddie's a, an incredibly hardworking young writer in the fantasy, working in the fantasy genre. And that's the first book in the series. The second one's called The Soul Thief. And she is hard at work on the third one. And yeah, they're really good. So I recommend those to anyone. And then the final one I want to recommend is actually, I think Rachel already said it. I want to read Corinna May's Never Ever Forever. I haven't read it yet. And I'm keen to do that as a summer read and get my romance fix alongside my fantasy. Brilliant. As the host who is the least organized of anybody here, I have no books to actually show on video, but I will say that what I'm currently reading, listening to actually on audio and loving is Tom Lake by Anne Patchett. And as an absolute bonus, the narrator of that is Meryl Streep. Anybody that just loves books that are full of character, more character-driven than plot-driven, but Anne Patchett just has this beautiful way, and particularly in this story of weaving backwards and forwards between past and present and just taking you into the story and having Meryl Streep narrate that is just absolute magic. And you can just sit back and listen and picture Meryl telling this story. It's just wonderful. There's lots of books I hope to read over the holidays. I've got a whole list of them there. But one that I'd highly recommend from this year that I've read that kind of surprised me because it was out of genre, and I did interview her on the podcast, and that's After the Forest by Kel Woods. It's an absolutely amazing debut. It's so beautifully written and just has that whole fantasy and fairy tale element, but it's very strongly based in historical time period and the writing is absolutely beautiful. So if you're looking for something a little bit different and that is normally out of your genre, highly recommend that. Um, and uh, for a debut, it's amazing. It's really so good. Yeah, and she's working. She's already submitted her next one and I think that's going to be fantastic as well. And the other book that I'm taking away with me to Canada is one that I've had sitting on my pile since last year, and that's Horse by Geraldine Brooks. And it's a great big tome of a book, and I've been waiting to read it. And just because I'm always reading books for the podcast and reading different books, I've had it sitting there, and I'm going to be taking it's a hardcover, taking that away f- with me to read in Canada because I'm going skiing in January. So hopefully come back with all my limbs intact. <laughs> And that is a brilliant book, Karen. It's just fabulous. And I got to go to one of her literary events when she was touring with the book. And it'll be interesting to see what you think of it because she does talk about her fear of being cancelled because mm. of that book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And she hasn't been cancelled. Good. Yeah. I love her books. I've read all of her books and love them. I'm really interested to read that and I can't believe I haven't read it yet. But. I am going to let you lovely ladies go and actually enjoy the rest of your night or go to bed because we have been talking for quite some time. Thank you so much for being part of Rights for Women, for hosting the episodes, for putting so much time into the preparation and the reading and the actual recording of the interviews. I love that you're doing that for the whole podcast and the listeners are loving it. So I wish you all a really happy Christmas, fantastic holiday and 
Can't wait to see you back on the Convo couch, hopefully next year in 2024. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Pam. Happy Christmas. Looking forward to next year too. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4WPodcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Thanks for listening, have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end.